When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Wednesday, May 24th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 519 features the ringer's Brian Barrett. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. All right, everybody, welcome in. New Celtics beat here. Adam Kaufman and Valenti, we're always here with you. Brian Barrett from The Ringer rejoins us. Good friend of this program, this show, of course, coming at you a couple times a week now. And it's a good thing it is because... <laughs> we have got some mid-series fun stuff to talk about. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed that we might, and on, on the heels of our last show that I did with Greeny a few days ago, that we would actually have something fun with this team to talk about again after falling behind 3 nothing. obviously. Now we have maybe a series again. I don't want to get ahead of myself, only, you know, to believe that we're going to see history here, but we'll dive into all the numbers and specifics and, and just good stuff. But I, I think overall, guys... Vibes are better, right? I mean, they're not good. Don't get me wrong. They're not good. Like the team hasn't won anything yet, but the vibes, it, it's just, it's nice to not be sitting here, Brian, doing an off season show. That's basically what it is. Yeah. You're not kidding about that. And the other big thing about that game four was I still cannot believe it, guys, that we have the Celtics were down three to nothing and a rod and Derek Jeter <laughs> were both in the building. Yeah. That was incredible to me. That was awesome. When they first showed, they showed Jeter first, right? And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, he's he used to be a part owner of the Marlins, so he's just hanging out. Okay, that makes sense. And then they're like, okay, let's pan over to A-Rod, who's with his star player, Anthony Edwards. I'm like, this is incredible. There's no <laughs> way that they're actually both in the building when a team is trying to come back from a 3 nothing deficit, and then – TNT is like, well, the last time a team came back from 3-0 <laughs> was the Red Sox. This is fantastic. So well, I don't... not not even just that. Like, I'll do you one better. Like that that came, of course, you know, right after earlier in the day. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are both like, don't let us win one. Don't let us, you know, go <laughs> go, go go going all Marcus Millar and Jalen Millar, and then those two, like you said, sitting courtside at this game. It's it there. It we can convince ourselves, right? As 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 just overzealous, narrow-minded, delusional Boston fans, fate. Fate. It's fate. I have to believe it. Yeah. And the other component to that is I hope that on game five, we see Kevin Millar, David Ortiz. I don't know if you can get Pedro and David Ortiz, but how cool would that be if some of the guys from the 04 team were in the building? Why not, man? That would be electric. I love when the teams have 
the other teams in town, like at the game, obviously this yeah. current group of Red Sox won't be there because they're on the West Coast, but I would expect Edelman's going to be in the building, right? He's still a big Boston guy. He was mm-hmm. so mad. He always posts videos about what he's upset about what's going on with the Celtics. I would expect that Belichick is going to be in the building. He's already been at a couple of games. So why not get the 0-4 Red Sox? Can you imagine when they show Millar and Ortiz and Pedro, like if they're in a suite together, what yeah. the reaction would be? That would be awesome. Let's go. Get them in the building. Come on, is, Wick. Let's go. Is, is Dave Roberts around? Is he available? It's, no, it's a, true. Somebody though, already, like that. Somebody's, I, think, I, I think the Dodgers have an off day tomorrow. I just Ooh. somebody already threw this out there. Like I, I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> I didn't cry any of it. I didn't look it up to see if it was accurate. I just took it for facts. <laughs> Which never has gotten anybody in trouble. But it was one of these things somebody was like, hey, for the record, Dave Roberts has an off day tomorrow. And I'm just again, the wheels are spinning. How many guys could you pack into the TD yeah. Garden? You know, like is Mike Timlin and Alan Embry are they hanging around? Like I need. Wait, wait, we know Wakefield's around. Like we, you know, well, we know he's yeah. not doing anything. Let's get everybody. Yeah, we know in. some of the. It's basically, you know, what it is. It's it's a better version of when the team brought in Drew Bledsoe during the whole, uh, you know, Terry Rozier, Terry, Eric Bledsoe oh, yeah. thing. Yeah, oh, that's man. that's yeah. Th- this would be more fun. This. It, it, the, maybe if the Celtics come out uh, for for warmups pregame wearing the old black uh, t shirt with the the red Boston style writing, it says "Why not us?" That the Red Sox players wore in two thousand four. That's that's what we could do. At, yeah, at the, the very, thing at the very least, if Millar isn't there, you got to think there's a mes- a message on the video board. Yeah, and I yeah, it, there's got to be a highlight, right? Like David Robert, uh, Dave Roberts stealing second, and Ortiz walk off the bloody sock, like something along those lines. The one thing that I would encourage the Celtics players not to do that the Red Sox players did: no shots before the game. Okay, this is basketball. Yeah, this is not Major League Baseball. Okay, you're yeah. gonna have an issue running up and down the court if you're taking shots before the game. So I mean, the one thing I would not encourage them to do that the 2004 Red Sox did. Is this the only way for Damon to come back in town and get a round of applause? He's already been back and gotten a round of applause. Has the he? whole like Jesus Judas thing, that's in the past. People are over the Yankees thing. It's Are we? I mean, I'm not saying you are Barrett is or even that I am, but I, I on the whole, Jason you know, he he's he's still welcome back with uh with open arms, I think, when he yeah. shows up at Fenway. Yeah. Not yeah. You know, we, softer as a fan base i'm sure that's something you've talked about on your podcast yeah definitely definitely softer the past couple of weeks the reaction to the celtics losing the first three and the bruins i, I think this <laughs> the fan base is rabid right now and look they hey they held it off for a couple of days here celtics have an opportunity game five to get back in the series and i know like it's cliche to go by what they were saying hey don't let us win one but you win game five at home and right now you look at this situation, not to pivot completely to the series, but Gabe Vincent is now hobbled. This Heat yeah. team is dealing with a ton of injuries right now. Obviously, we know that Tyler Hero is not playing. And, man, I, whatever that guy's wearing on the sidelines is just – I don't know what's one. going on. Valencia, you're a big style guy. you got to talk to him. Like, I don't know what's going on with that guy. But, but if Vincent's banged up tomorrow, I mean, how many healthy bodies are they going to have, right? I mean, you think about it. The Celtics already had the health advantage entering the series, and now with Vincent banged up, they're dealing – and look, this is a huge thing that the Celtics are trying to overcome, the 3-0 deficit and all that. I totally understand that. But if you're just looking at this, the Celtics right now are what, nine-point favorites on FanDuel to win this it's game or 8-8, eight, eight, eight yeah. half right now, which I understand, right, because the Celtics, they win blowouts, so – if you're going to bet the game, you might as well take the number because they're either going to win by like 15 or they're going to lose a close game, right? 
So think- a couple things on that, and it's it's you know in in line with like Vegas has either immense overvalue level respect for the Celtics or just completely does not respect the Heat or it's somewhere in between, whatever the case. But as we know, like the the Celtics going into the series were opened as five to one favorites, closed as close to six to one favorites against a Heat team that granted no Giannis for much of that series, but knocked off the number one seed, had relative easy work of the Knicks, whereas obviously the Celtics had trouble with the Hawks to some degree, did have trouble with the Sixers, had to come back from down three two, went to seven games with Jimmy Butler in the Heat last year. It was nuts to me, and we talked about it on this show, Evan. It was nuts to me how people were were betting and odds makers were were lining up this series. But just to feed into how that's still the case, even when the Celtics dropped the first two games at home and had to win four out of five with three of those games happening on the road in Miami, the odds were still basically even money that the Celtics would come back and win. When they fell behind 3-0, I was talking to a buddy last night who I had on my radio show who said, it's not so much that I that I thought it would happen. We're talking about history here, but I just, the number was too good to pass up. It was plus 800 for the Celtics to come back and win the series. So he threw some money on it. But what was notable was after they won game three, it jumped to plus 220. Think about that. Plus 220 (laughs) for the Celtics to win the next three games and the Heat not get one to do something that has never been done in NBA history. The disrespect for the Heat, Barrett, is unbelievable to me. Even though Boston is a much more talented, much deeper, much more well-rounded team. We've seen that for effectively, what, in in grand totality through four games, maybe the equivalent of a little less than one full game, four quarters over the course of, or because or, I don't want to feed into the whole like one, three out of four quarters in game one. But even if we do that, let's say that one, one and a half quarters out of four games, they have truly been the better team. It's nuts to me. Yeah, well, and it's not only just like the odds of it, like coming back from a 3-0 hole, but also think about this Celtics team where we've talked about all season long how they've been so reliant on the three-point shot. And if you look at the first three games of the series, the Heat outscored them by 39 points from three-point territory. And then last night, that advantage went to the Celtics, where it's a plus 33. But we've seen these games throughout the postseason where the Celtics do struggle from three-point territory. And we've seen when the Celtics don't hit their threes, they don't hit 40%. They're a below 500 team this season, right? They struggle when it comes to that. So there's the three-point thing that the Celtics are so reliant on. And the other component to why that number is so staggering is you're betting that Jimmy Butler, like the odds for Jimmy Butler to lose four consecutive games and Eric Spolstra, and I know Joe Mazzulla has come on uh, under a lot of criticism. That's what where I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize Joe Mazzulla when it comes to this point I'm going to make, but this is widely regarded as the best coach in the NBA Mm-hmm. going up against a guy that's in his rookie season with a 3-0 advantage and now a 3-1 advantage to the point. But still, like beating Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolster three consecutive times, for the odds to flip that dramatically after they won one game and they still have to win three more, it's remarkable. And the other component, and I know I keep going on, but the other component is we've learned like it's very difficult to trust the Celtics. It's very mm-hmm. difficult. Like they will lay an egg. We've seen it throughout the postseason where it's like, where is the intensity on the defensive end? And that's the most aggravating part to me about this team is because we've seen in all these elimination games, their defensive rating has been better than the best defense in the league. But we also know they've had eight games in this postseason where the defensive rating has been north of 120. 
was the worst team in the league, the worst team in NBA history defensively was the Spurs this year at 119.6. Eight times the Boston Celtics have been worse than the worst defense in NBA history. They were over 120 once the entire postseason last year. So by all those things that I mentioned there, and I know I just went on for a second there, that it it's amazing to me that there is so much favoritism towards the Celtics and lack of respect to the Miami Heat. Well, so I think part of it, I think part of it is this, like, and Ev, I, I sent you this. I don't know if you had the chance to read it, but I, I tweeted it out. If Barrett, you didn't see it. We're all numbers guys. And I think that you, the, the analytical person that you are, Brian, I think you will appreciate this because I have just, you know, I listen to these broadcasts like everybody else. And I've been increasingly ticked off listening to the whole with the Lakers lost to the Nuggets. It's Owen 150, right? It's Owen 150 in NBA playoff history that a team has come back from down 03 to win. It's never happened, which is why, like you alluded to before, people keep, you know, hearkening back to 04 and the Red Sox doing it against the Yankees when, of course, at that point in time, it had never been done in MLB history. So, and, and, you know, the Bruins were on the wrong side of that in the NHL against Philadelphia years back, you know, a decade and change ago. So people want to obviously give you the lifetime numbers, but where the Owen 150 is completely meaningless. And this is what I tweeted out and credit to our guy, Seth Landman, who helped me do a little bit of the research because I am basketball reference dumb. He helped guide me through. So Owen 150 in a best of seven after falling behind 3-0. We all know it. Everybody recites it. However, when the NBA expanded to 16 teams in 1984, I think that becomes slightly more relevant because then we're not talking about things that were, you know, fewer games and teams and all of that. So going to 16 teams in 1984 also related a 2-2-1-1-1 playoff format. It's not the 2-3-2, 2-2-1-1-1. Then you go from 0-1-1-50 down to 0-1-1-11. So we're narrowing the gap. However, we keep going. Celtics, of course, drop the first two games at home. So in the case where the format is, again, 2-2-1-1-1, and it goes home-home, away-away, home-away-home, meaning the higher seed fell behind. Very, very rare, obviously. 0-13. Okay? So generally, like, when a bad team falls behind 3-0, they're probably going to lose. The higher seed, it very rarely happens. It's happened 13 times. 0-13 coming into this series that we are in right now. Only one of those teams that are in the exact same situation as the Celtics, meaning home, home, away, away, home, away, home. Only one of those teams even reached a game six. And that was Orlando against Boston in 2010. Boston was the higher seed, won the first three. Orlando took the next two. Celtics won in game six, put it away. That is the only time we have even seen a game six. And as Seth quote tweeted me and pointed out, of the 14 times, because of course this that we are living is the 14th time, the 14th time where the higher seed went down 3-0, only four times did the higher seed even manage to win game four, like the Celtics just did. So yes, we are in uncharted territory, and yes, this is an uphill battle, but 0-13 is a hell of a lot different than 0-150. You know, when you're talking about a vastly better team, which I do believe, I don't think, you know, I I agree, like the Celtics are unpredictable. There's a real Jekyll and Hyde component to them. But I also, I, I can't sit here and say that I would be utterly shocked just looking at team to team to team. Like for as long as this series goes, the Celtics will be favored at this point going forward, without a doubt. They will be the favored team. They've only been the underdog once in this series, and that was by a point and a half in game four in Miami. They will be the favored team the rest of the way. I cannot sit here and tell you I will be shocked 
if they come back and win just based on the fact that they are clearly larger regular season and beyond sample size, the better team. And like you said, they've got the health advantage as well. Well, and now I'm feeling good about this because now <laughs> we go from 0 and 150 to a much smaller number. So I'm feeling much more optimistic after you did that, Kaufman. I need a copy of that, by the way, if you can it's send me a, that. It's, it's in my tweet. It's right okay. there, buddy. All right. right there I gotta, for you. I got I to gotta copy that onto my Google Doc for the next time I do a pod. And I'll give you I'll give you credit for it, of course. Because Appreciate that. That, that. Thank that, you. That, that, that is a great number. But the other component to that is... I wonder how many times this has happened where the team with the best net rating in the NBA was down three games to none against a team that had a negative point differential during the regular season. The <laughs> Probably Heat never a, happened. Yes, the Heat had a negative point differential. They lost to the Atlanta Hawks, and they yeah. almost lost to the Chicago Bulls. And then Jimmy Butler caught fire against the Bucks, and Giannis goes down, and then they beat the Knicks, and they deserve to win that series. But I just can't get over the fact that this team that has not been a good three-point shooting team all season long, all their guys were shooting the lights out through the first couple of games of the series. And if you look at it on the other side with the Celtics, they couldn't hit anything until game four, especially the only guy that was hitting threes was Derek White, who has had three threes in each of these games. He's the only guy. Mm -hmm. Grant hit four. Al Horford finally got going. And if you just look at sort of the expected effective field goal percentage, the Celtics had the better expected effective field goal percentage in the first three games. And I'm not saying, oh, it's all luck, because part of this is defense, too. Like, they're giving up too many easy opportunities to Miami. But I think we can all agree that the way that the Heat were shooting the ball through the first three games, especially Gabe Vincent, and I know PR is not the be-all, end-all, who had a PR of 11 this season, or excuse me, Caleb Martin had a PR of 11. He's going off. Gabe Vincent's going off. Max Struess was out of the rotation at times. Duncan Robinson was out of the rotation at times. All these guys were just completely going off throughout this series. And it did feel like it normalized a little bit last night. Now, I don't expect the gap in terms of the three-point difference to be as wide as it was in that game four. But one of the things that is going to irritate us as people that want the Celtics to win is if they do lose one of these games, it's going to be because... Hey, Jimmy went off, right? Jimmy went nuts. And the problem for the Celtics is they've created this, basically the margin of error is non-existent because they couldn't pull out one of those first two games in Boston, especially the game two one, guys. That was just so aggravating. So now they almost have to be perfect. But from a Celtics perspective as well, they are really good when they face elimination. It's whatever it is, it seems like it brings the best out of them, especially the best player on the team, which you have to feel good about that. And I thought they did not to get into the specifics too much. I thought they did a really good job last night, finally getting Butler off Tatum more often than not, because Mm -hmm. throughout this year, like that's not the matchup. Jimmy Butler is an elite defender and Jason Tatum's a great offensive player. But when you can take advantages and go after Struess and go after Martin and go after Vincent, you should just like on the other side, Jimmy Butler doesn't want Tatum on him. He's going after a smaller guy in Derek White, all NBA defender and all that, but he's going at bigs like Robert Williams. He's going after Grant Williams. This is stuff the Celtics weren't doing as much in the first three games. And I feel like they found that at least getting Tatum easier opportunities because they need him to do that based on the way that Jalen has been really bad in this series. And Brogdon, like those are the two other guys in this team that can reliably create their own shot, right? Like White can hit shots. He can drive a little bit smart, more of a passer. Hopefully he can continue to hit the open threes like he did in game four. But those are the two other guys that can create their own shot. And 
they've had really bad series. So you're going to need everything from Tatum. Yeah, I mean, if for me, you take it. I've, I've been talking enough. No, it's for me. It's like as we both said it. That Miami, like the amount of shots Miami was hitting between games one and three was just completely aggravating. Because and this is the one thing that I've been talking like just people that I just know that are Celtics fans. We just talk about this constantly. It's like Miami for me. The mo- the thing that kills me is like Miami was. I th- I believe Barrett. You might know better than I do. I believe Miami was like twenty seventh in offensive rating in the regular season. Yeah, and bad offense. It's they were an awful offense. They were bottom of the league offense. And right now, like again, with after game three, it's like this team can't miss. And like I just don't understand like what what is like what is this? Like what are we can we learn anything about this? Is the regular season just do not mean a single thing anymore? Like I know that Miami has been a good defensive team all year. That's not surprising. The, this offensive outburst of just every guy off the bench is just a walking flamethrower. It's just, and then combine that with the Al Horford hadn't made anything. Malcolm Brogdon was like, what, one for 11 the other night? It's like the Boston Celtics, two best three-point shooters, two guys that were like second and fourth in the league in three-point shooting, can't hit anything. Meanwhile, Miami somehow has found this ridiculous stretch. It, it just finally felt like life came back to earth last night, but it feels like to me, I don't know that we're a little like too positive right now because like Boston's still down three games, still one. And it's no, but I'll, but, but I'll tell but I'll tell you why we're positive. Go for it. It, it. Like beyond even the whole, as a buddy texted me during Game Four during that eighteen zero run, like are we witnessing a regression to the mean right now? Like that that was what it felt like, and and obviously you know Barrett alluded to that before, but I think we're feeling good because well, one you're you're coming back. I mean, you shouldn't feel great coming back home based on the way they yeah. played the Garden, but generally speaking, you'd like to believe that. It at least with the crowd behind you and the elimination game and all that, you think back to game seven against Philly. Sure. Like maybe coming back home that that will actually be a good thing. Not that Miami is the most hostile environment, you know, for a team to play in, but I think we're feeling good because, you know, you were talking about the inefficiencies offensively shooting the ball for the Celtics in the first three games of the series, whether it was Tatum or obviously more so the likes of Brown and Horford and smart and Brogdon. And it's not like they were missing all of these, contested shots and you got to give all this credit to Miami they're finding a way to contain and shut down the seas and what they do best no they were just missing open looks open look after open look after open look it wasn't a failure to create opportunities and ball movement and you can't find a way to get off a clean shot they were just missing great shots great shots and eventually, if you're a great shooter or even a good shooter or above average shooter, those things are going to start to fall. And we saw that in game four. And I do believe that we're going to see more of that in this series. Doesn't mean they're going to come all the way back and win. I'm not proclaiming that, but I do think you are going to see a, a more representative shooting performance in game five. Maybe not quite what we saw in game four. Not that game four was like out of this world. You know, it wasn't, they didn't shoot over 50% from three, but you know, they shot very well. I don't think we're going to see what we saw in games one through three. I really don't. And I I would like to believe Jalen's going to start to shoot better. I'd really like to believe that Brogdon isn't going to look like a waste of space on both ends of the floor. And as far as and I'm, I'm combining sort of everything we're talking about here, but on the Miami side of things with their offense, you know, like, oh, you can't let Butler go off. Like you kind of can and not 40, 45 points, but you can let Butler get his 30. You can even let Bam get his 20. You got to control, you, you can't be torched by Vincent if he plays, Martin, Struess, 
Robinson, like the role players can't abuse you as, as you know, what happened in the first three games and did not happen in game four. That is, that's the overwhelming difference right here for me. Butler can do his thing. I mean, hopefully he doesn't get the bulk of it in the fourth quarter, but generally speaking over the course of a game, Butler can do his thing. It's the other guys that you got to tie up. And if you do that, if you do that successfully, Brian, you win. Yeah, and the thing to me about that is it's schematic too, right? Because okay, if you're if you don't want Butler to be singled up and you want to double him, you got to make sure you get back to the shooters now. Because I understand like the gamble early in the series, right? When you're like, okay, there's no way Struce is going to hit all these threes, even though he's a good shooter. There's no way Martin or Vincent they're going to hit all those threes. But what they've proven throughout the series is they're very capable of hitting those threes. The, all those guys have been really, really hot right now. So that's going to be the thing. Like, they just got to be more together when it comes to being on a string, which I think we saw more of that, of course, in that game four, where they were getting out to the shooters more quickly. And the thing that's sort of aggravating me about going back to earlier in the series is the doubles on Butler, when they actually brought him, like at the end of the second quarter, and what was that, game three, like Butler turned the ball over twice. And then they come out for the third quarter, and they're not doubling him. And then they start doubling him, but it's after he gets two to three dribbles where he gets into the lane. Like there just has to be, and you have to show him different looks because eventually he's going to figure you out, but there's going to be a consistent plan because if he's getting three dribbles and he's going past the defender and then you double, he is going to find the shooter. This guy is a phenomenal passer. So on that end of the court, that would be the most important thing to me. And even going back to the whole idea of the Celtics were just missing shots. One of the other things I would say in last night's game They actually generated better threes. They took 17 corner threes, and they hit seven Mm. of those. And if you go back to the regular season and the heat coming into this series, they were averaging, they gave up the most corner threes per game in the entire NBA. So Mm. if you can get inside and penetrate, you're going to find better three-point opportunities for, remember last year we said it was Grant's corner office? Like, you're going to find better shots for your guys because the reality is this. If Tatum gets into the teeth of the defense, they're cheating. Now, Jalen, if he gets into the teeth of the defense, let's hope it's only three dribbles instead of four dribbles, because if he gets to four, he's probably going to either dribble it off his foot or they're going to steal it from him. But if the reads are easy for Jalen, it's going to be more beneficial for this team. But the big thing to me is just they got to be as consistent as they were with how they're handling Jimmy. And the one other thing is this, guys. When Jimmy Butler gets into the lane, he only jumps off two feet. He doesn't jump off one foot. He jump stops. He stops. He pump fakes. Don't go for the first pump fake. And I know it's easy for me to say this, like, as we're talking, but don't go for the first pump fake. He's trying to get to the free throw line. Even last night where he couldn't shoot at all in that game, would he get to the free throw line 12 times? And a lot of times it's, you can't go for the first shot fake. You cannot do that. Let's, uh, before we get too carried away talking about how the parade is coming to Boston, let's shout out our great sponsors who have us here twice a week. Excellent. You know, just in building off the whole Derek White discussion while you were uh, reading through some of that, I was perusing Twitter. This is another one from StatMuse. Terrific account if you don't follow it. Uh, Derek White this postseason. I want you guys to remember back to basically this time last year, maybe a couple weeks later this time last year and some people out there in the media or even fans lamenting the white trade and, and how, how could you give up a, a pick for this guy and all of that stuff. Derek White this postseason, 16 point or uh, pardon me, 12.6 points, a little dyslexic there, 12.6 points per game, obviously, 
field goal percentage, 45.3 three-point percentage, 95.8 free throw percentage. The first player in NBA history with 200-plus points on a 50-45-95 percentage split in a playoff run. My man, wow. He's been pretty good. Derek White's awesome. He Brandon did- Bass never did it? Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> from the mid-range, from about, about either elbow, Brandon Bass is about 95% from the field. That's an amazing number. Like his, that was, Kaufman, it's a great point because going back to last postseason, it wasn't even like at times where he would just, he was bricking everything. I, I think back to the Heat series, the only good game he had was game six. Remember, that's the game where Butler mm-hmm. went nuts at the Garden. And Derek White almost won the game single-handedly for the Celtics. You're waiting for the rest of the guys to get going in that game. And right. the weird thing about it was he was so bad in the previous games. And I understand he missed one of the games because of the birth of a child. And so it was either he was bricking threes or remember when he wouldn't take them and Pritchard yeah. was like playing the same amount of minutes of him. He just didn't have the confidence. And that's one guy where I really think that Joe Mazzula has been better for Derek White than Ime because Derek White's confidence has never shattered this year, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. even if you look at the minutes in the Philly series where he lost some minutes, he still wasn't afraid to shoot. When he went in there, he still went in. And in that series, I believe he shot, what, 39%? from three-point territory. So even when he wasn't playing his best, like he was great in the first two games against Atlanta, and he was tremendous in game four, and I think he's been good in this series in general, at least he still has the confidence, because that was a real issue last year. He just wouldn't shoot, and that really sputtered the Celtics' offense, right? Because then all the spacing gets screwed up if you're not willing to shoot, and he's been willing to shoot. And give him credit. I mean, the guy shot, what, nearly 40% on catch-and-shoot threes this year. He deserves a lot of credit for the improvement because it's obviously he put in a ton of work in the offseason. I just want I want to be clear. Hang on, I'm getting, if, if you're just listening, you're not watching, I'm getting clear closer to the camera with my ear. Did I hear some some mixed-in Joe Mazzula praise in that comment? Is someone actually saying a good thing about Joe Mazzula these days? <laughs> well, for Derek White specifically, I think he has been better. Don't you guys? I mean, he, I, I do. Like I absolutely. He, listen, I, I the the Joe Mazzula criticism has been so. We've. I'm not going to go into a whole monologue on this because I've done it on this show already. It's been so over the top, and I'm not saying he is infallible. He is. There are plenty of eyebrow raising moments throughout this playoff run, the regular season, and all of it. But Joe Mazzula, not just the players. Joe Mazzula had himself a great game four. Yeah, he did. And the one thing I'll say is he called the timeout in the middle of a possession, which you're like, whoa, the, the possession's going nowhere. Joe called the timeout. My only real critique would be of him in game four is if at the beginning of the fourth quarter, first of all, I would just play Tatum the whole second half, okay? Because earlier this season, Tatum played the whole second quarter, whole third quarter, whole fourth quarter, whole overtime against the Warriors during the regular season and the Lakers during the regular season. And he's... Technically, in his 24-year-old season, he's 25 years of age. LeBron almost played 48 minutes. So I believe that Tatum can go the distance. And we actually saw in game four, it looked like he was mad at Missoula in the first quarter when he took him out. I don't know if you guys caught that. It it looked like he was kind of upset with Missoula when it came to that. But if you are going to take out Tatum to begin the fourth quarter, what we've noticed in this series is every time Tatum's out of the game, the Heat go to zone. So if that's going to be the case... Smart and Al both have to be on the court. And look, it was great that they called the timeout early there. So it was only a 4-0 run for Miami to begin that fourth quarter before they put Tatum in. And then Tatum destroyed the zone because first play. And again, give Joe credit. He calls uh, the ATO was, hey, Tatum, come up to the elbow. He hits a little jumper. He shoots him out 
yeah, of that yeah. zone, right? right. But no. if, 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 if Tatum's going to be out of the game, Smart and Al have to be out there because those are your second and your third best passers or wherever you want to cut. Those are your three best passers. And if Tatum's off the court, you have to have your other two best passers on the court against the zone because it's Jalen and Brogdon out there. Rob can do some things on the short roll, but Jalen and Brogdon, I mean, these guys have blinders on, okay? They cannot be like the guys out there. And Derek White's fine, right? But I want Smart and Al out there if they go zone when Tatum's on the bench. Yeah, I, I've been wondering why he's put a, a leash on on Tatum um, and on Rob. Like, there are certain games where I'm like, I'm not quite sure why Rob's not playing more. Because until unless Al's going to hit shots, and Al finally hit some shots in game four, uh, there are just plays where you're like, I, Al can't hang out here right now. Like he just, he just doesn't like, you're asking a lot of, of a guy of that age, that many minutes. And I know everybody's afraid to play Rob more minutes, but at some point, like Rob's got to play more minutes. Like it, it, there's, it, you're either, you play Rob some more minutes sometimes or your season's over. And it's the same thing with Tatum. And it's, and it's more like pressing with Tatum. Again, if they're down in game five at halftime, I'm not taking Tatum out the entire second half. I'm just not. Because, and this has been their problem throughout the entire season. This was one of the biggest questions that I had for Missoula and this staff and this and this team from the second half on. Because of the first half and a, and a lot of the season, you know, the team would crater with Tatum off the floor. I mean, the, the non-Tatum minutes were a joke. It was like, what is happening to this team? To, it's like, it's not quite Jokic level, but it was getting there. I wouldn't even play this game. I would just have Tatum out there the entire time because the how do we solve the non-Tatum minutes has been so inconsistent that at this point, like, you just can't have non-Tatum minutes there. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because even if you look at the playoff numbers in totality and it's worse in this series, the Celtics have actually been outscored when Jalen's on the court without Tatum. That's been one of the remarkable things is Jalen, the impact metrics, they never really have liked Jalen because he's always been like a one assist to one turnover guy. So he's never going to pile up a lot of assists and think, and he's not the rebounder like Tatum is. I mean, Tatum's averaging north of 10 rebounds per game in this postseason, which it's one of the most underrated parts of his game. The guy's a phenomenal rebounder. I mean, Kawhi and Durant have never averaged 10 rebounds per game in a playoff run. Tatum is now doing it for the second time. The first time he did it, he was still in his embryonic stages as an NBA basketball player. He was in the bubble. What was he like? Literally, I think he was 22. Like, that was his 22 or 21-year-old season. But Jalen's never going to be loved by the impact metrics. But it's noticeable in the series that Jalen's just not the same player right now. And hopefully they can give, get him back on track. But to your point about Tatum, you think about it, that game four, he doesn't play in six for six minutes. The Celtics go 2 of 8, 0 of 5 from 3. In the 42 minutes he played, they were plus 21. They shoot 53.9%, 45% from deep, and they had a 128.9 offensive rating with them off the court. And look, it's just six minutes, but they had a 69.2 offensive rating. So, yeah, the non-Tatum minutes have been, and I thought they were better at least during the regular season with that. Maybe it's just because they have such a deep team, but it does feel like at times they get exposed when Tatum's not in the court. That's why I would always have Smart out there if Tatum's not out there, because you need that additional playmaker without Tatum on the court. So that that's the one perplexing thing I've seen is not having smart out there, but I don't know, guys, how concerned are you about Jalen? Because this is now, well, three- I just wanted to ask you about that. It's, I mean, are we worried about an injury? Because this is, you know, you, you use the words like get Jalen back on track. I'm wondering, can you get Jalen back on track? Like, is this a slump, a prolonged slump 
or if you look at those, like it's easy to pinpoint these in particular, but those two free throws that he missed one, which barely grazed oh. the rim. He just doesn't look right. I mean, he, he looks hurt. And obviously I wouldn't expect him to come out and talk about it and acknowledge it and, and use it as an excuse or anything like that, but he does not look right right now. And so I, at a certain point in time, you got to sit him. You know, if if that's if that continues, if that's prolonged, you know, kind of like how Brogdon looked like crap in game four and played by his standard limited minutes. I know Brown this year was a top 10 player in the NBA, a, you know, second team, all NBA and all of that. But if he's not that guy, maybe you got to put him down. Yeah, and if you look to that second quarter, another thing I'll give Joe Missoula credit for is he didn't bring Jalen back in until there was about five minutes and 15 seconds left before half. So Jalen sat more than six minutes in that second quarter break where he played the entirety of the first quarter. He didn't come back in for a while. And it did feel like they found something with Grant on the court at the four. And they had Rob at one point, and then Al was in there. But you had Tatum with the two guards around him, right? At one point, it was Derek White, and it was Malcolm Brogdon, and it was Marcus Smart mixed in there as well before Jalen Brown came back in. And it just felt like the best players right now, or at least in that game, I would include Al, but the best players right now for the Celtics, it feels like, are Tatum, Grant, and Derek White. And when those guys are on the court together, I'm not saying they're the best, obviously, on the team. I'm just saying as of right now, they're playing the best. They play faster, right? And I do feel like one of the issues that Jalen has had throughout his career is he tends to play slower for like his decision-making. I'm not talking about his speed end-to-end, but his decision-making seems to be slower than some of these other guys. Like Grant is either going to shoot it or he's going to take one dribble and try to drive a closeout or he's passing it. Derek White is either going to drive to the basket, he's going to pass it, or he's going to shoot it. And I do feel like at times... Jalen Brown holds into the ball and it kind of slows down the offense in totality. But the fact that he's now at the three games, less than 20 points and the free throw shooting in the series, you mentioned a cough. He's four of nine. He has 67 points. Excuse me. Yeah. 67, 77, uh, 67 points in the series. Butler, Martin and Vincent all ahead of him as it pertains to his points. And he's taken 77 shots, the same as Tatum. I have to think that there's something wrong with him. You don't go from being a really good shot maker, and he shot the ball exceptionally well against Atlanta, pretty well against Philly, not as good, but there has to be something going on with the writ. Like, he should be, like, it's not like he's taking all these difficult shots. He's bricking, like, easy opportunities that he would ordinarily hit. The one thing he did yesterday, I give him credit, they got him going by getting him out running in transition, but right now, it's like Jalen can't hit anything outside of the restricted area. That game too, in particular, and I was in the building for it. And I just, I couldn't believe what I was watching. He was so bad. I mean, he was, there were a lot of reasons they lost that game, but for me, and we won't rehash all this, obviously, but he was number one, you know, if he has an, an, an even average night for him, a representative Jalen Brown night, they win that game going away. And they lost it because he just, he, all, all these wide open looks, like we talked about, he couldn't hit anything. And that was where I started to get a little concerned that, man, it, it just seems like something is up with him. And it, you don't want to, again, if the Celtics lose the series, they lose the series. There are no, no excuses. They are the healthier team in this series, independent of Jalen Brown, but he doesn't look right. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, Brogdon, on the other hand, just looks bad. Like he doesn't look hurt. He looks bad. You know, smart to some degree looks a little banged up. Jalen does not look right. Yeah, Brogdon to me looks gassed. That's what it looks like to me with Brogdon. And look, part of it, maybe this is the situation with Brogdon where 
He's 12 of 34, 35.3%. He's 3 of 14 from deep, 21.4%. And right now, I don't feel like any of them are going in, right? Because they, and I know he has like kind of a line drive type shot, but they're all coming up short. So I do wonder with Brogdon, who going back to when they made the trade, unbelievable trade, where basically all you gave up was Aaron Neesmith and a draft pick, right? You do that again. He He won six man of the year and all this. But we all knew like the price was that because of the injury history. Mm-hmm. And during the regular season, they did a really good job of sort of keeping Brogdon's minutes down, right? Where he was always coming off the bench. In fact, at times I thought, hey, maybe he should be playing more. Maybe he should be in the game at the end of this one because he was playing well. But I do wonder, like we talk about Al all the time with his minutes, but a guy that has had this injury history playing every other day, I do wonder if Brogdon is starting to get fatigued because all these other guys on the Celtics, Tatum, Jalen, Marcus, even Derek White to a lesser extent last year, these guys are used to it. These guys have played a ton of minutes in the postseason. Malcolm Brogdon really hasn't. So I do wonder if there is, and I'm not saying this as like defending Malcolm Brogdon, but fatigue is a factor. We saw that in the finals last year with the Celtics when they played all of these games. And I know they were dealing with injuries, but Tatum was completely gassed by the end. I wouldn't be surprised if Brogdon is just tired. I just looked it up while you're talking. He is played more games this year, playoffs included, than any other season of his career. By a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's not true. Seriously. First of all, the 67, because when they made the trade, remember all the questions were like, you know, this this is going to be defined as a great trade or a bad trade. Just purely, like, you know how he's going to play. It is purely going to be defined by the number of games that he plays. Because in recent years, 36 last year for Indiana, 56 the year before that, 54 in his first year with the Pacers. This 67 that he played this year, and that's just regular season, 67 that he played this year were the most since 75 as a rookie. He had never hit this number before, and now he's at, this is about to be playoff game number 18. So, I mean, the guy, he's yeah, he's he's not used to this kind of workload. And I realize the minutes are not, maybe what they have been in more recent years when he was a a 20 point a game guy with the Pacers, but still, I mean, just in terms of like mileage on, on those legs over the course of, you know, he's, he's playing an extra, he'd never gone on a playoff run like this period. I mean, his, he had never played more than seven playoff games in a season. And like I said, he's about to be at 18. He has played weeks, if not months longer than he is used to. Think about that last series, too, with with the Sixers. When it really got tight in Game 6 and Game 7, uh, Joe tightened it up to seven guys and rode yeah. Brogdon way more than White. Yeah. So it's not like one of these things. I mean, look, I at one, at one point I agree – I, I, I disagree with you. It's like, man, they really did a great job of managing his minutes throughout the regular season. There were times I'm sure all of us were like, why doesn't Brogdon play more? This is This is crazy. He's clearly like the one thing with the six. I don't know. I remember screaming a lot. Why isn't White out there? <laughs> well, no. I mean, one of the for things sure. that, like yeah, the Derek White that were the people that were all on the Emmanuel quickly train for six yeah. man year were like, well, he plays more, and it was yeah. like, well, if Brogdon played more, they would obviously have better numbers. And at some at some points, I was you know screaming for Brogdon to play more. If you go sure. back to the Philadelphia series when they got tight, uh, Joe only went seven guys, and it wasn't a lot of Derek White. It was mostly Brogdon. So there there, there maybe is a point about that and. I'm just hopeful it's not because I'm hopeful that the Celtics can, again, find a way to get two of the best four three-point shooters in the league this year to, like, kind of get back on track. I don't know. I'm not, I feel like I'm asking a lot here. But, again, I, I do want to go back to one thing quick. Well, I mean, with the whole Jalen thing, right? 
maybe again, uh, the move is to uh, try and find more advantageous lineups when, when Jalen's off the floor. If you go back to earlier in this year, when the Celtics are really shooting the ball well, the the best lineups were with Jalen off the floor. Like Sam Hauser was second in the league and like plus minus for a while because the lineups that he played with, with, with it was like Tatum and like four guys. Pick any mm-hmm. four guys. It was Tatum and four guys. That lineup was like ridiculous. And again, maybe that's how they find oil. And, and, and like, but I, the question is, can you really bench Jalen Brown? At, you know when the when everything's on the line. I don't know if I have the the. Uh, the well, and that's that goes back to a fair Joe critique, which is why just during this playoff run in general, I'm not even specifically talking about this series, although really I could. Mm-hmm. Why have we not seen any Hauser? Why have we not seen a little bit more Pritchard? You know that like all he it take it just this is a whole longer conversation that we won't have right now. But it, it takes me I I can't how many times on this show Evan. Over the course of the year or even last offseason, did we say to ourselves, man, some or, or to our audience, one thing the Celtics were painfully missing in, in that Golden State series in particular last year was a Sam Hauser, a Sam Hauser type. You know, it wasn't specifically Hauser. And I know we thought like maybe Danilo Gallinari will be that guy when they signed him. But then once Hauser got off to that absurd start to the regular season, it was this. This is what you were missing in that series last year. You you play you play him a great regular season this year within his role, like Brad Stevens, be a star in your role. Uh, you know, he you, you you let him have a great year based on expectation. And he will be ready this time around, whereas last year he wasn't this time around. He will be ready when called upon to perform and be that potential bucket microwave, whatever off the bench. And all of a sudden playoffs come rotations tighten. I know that's customary, but glued to the bench, even when all you needed was to try and shoot yourself back into a game. Sam Hauser was nowhere to be found. And that is certainly a very fair critique of, of uh, among many, of Joe Missoula, you know, throughout this playoff run. I don't know how, you know, even earlier on in this series specifically, when it was like, man, you got all these guys who are good shooters that can't hit the broadside of a barn while wide open. Give Hauser a look. Like, you know, Duncan Robinson's out there torching you, not, be- not because he's a good defender. He's, he's out there because he can knock down a three. Sam Hauser, not the best defender, but man, if he could, if he could start to yeah, rain some three Robinson. pointers, <laughs> you know, yeah. but like, so that's, but, but now game five, like you're not, I, I'd be shocked. I mean, hopefully there won't even be a need, but you're not going to see Sam Hauser coming in to try and save the day. Well, two things. First of all, Kaufman, I can't believe, I, I totally forgot about Gallo. I mean, he would be so pivotal for this team right now, just to have that as an option, right? Where we know he can like barrel his way to the basket and he can shoot like that. That's a great option that they don't have. I, I always see him on the bench, but I totally forget him. Like as he was supposed to be on the team this year, I always forget that because he tore his, I think I did a podcast with you guys too, like right after that, where it's like, oh, they dodged a bullet. Gallo, he hurt the knee, but it's not torn. This, this is right. great. And then, then we found out, oh no, it actually is torn. He's going to miss the entire season. Which yeah. stunned. The but the Hauser was points, really strong at that time. Yeah. The, the, the Hauser points are really good one because remember in the Atlanta series, Grant was pinned to the bench and he's like at the beginning of the series, Hauser was in the rotation and we really haven't seen him since then. And it didn't, to me, like the explanation for playing, I would have played Grant in game one. I, I think that Grant is a much better player than the coaching staff does. I, and that's where I stand on the Grant thing. I've never understood, and I know that he was dealing with an elbow issue, whatever it was during the season. I've never understood 
the Grant thing this year, where Grant was DNP during the rate. Like, I, I don't understand this. Like, think about what other teams, think about what Phoenix would do to have a role player like Grant Williams right yeah, now. Like, like, they would have died. Grant would have been like their what? Their fourth best player on their team. I mean, it's may, maybe even higher than that based on the way that Aiton played in the postseason, right? So yeah. I never understood that. But in the first game, like, the explanation for going with Pritchard was Joe referenced that. They liked his shooting, and they liked his pick-and-roll defense. I, I didn't understand the pick-and-roll defense part of the equation. I mean, they're running the Heat are going to run pick-and-roll with Jimmy Butler. So I, I don't understand that explanation. But to your point, Kaufman, this team has been struggling so much, or they were in the first three games shooting the three, and the Heat were playing a ton of zone. So how's there – that would have been like sort of a zone breaker. How many times did, when we were in college, watch some – Random dude come <laughs> off the bench against Syracuse and start burying threes against the zone from like way behind the three point line. Like yeah. that's a great point. Why didn't they try out Hauser earlier in the series? And look, now you're right. Like they're not going to try it now, and I totally understand why. But I am kind of surprised that Hauser hasn't gotten more minutes because one of the critiques that you could have had for Ime is like they didn't trust his defense last year. That's why they didn't play him. But at times last year, they ran through this problem where they weren't hitting threes. And you found out, oh, hey, this isn't going to happen this year because you can play the Hauser guy in the playoffs. And now we haven't really seen Hauser since the Atlanta series, at least an extended amount of time. So that is shocking. That's a great, that's a great point that where the he- where has Hauser been? Pritchard yeah, got I minutes just, in game one. Where was Hauser? Right. I just don't, I don't. And, and to your point, and this is like now, like now I'm going to get upset and start to pile on Joe when I, I didn't even want, like, I'm usually the one defending Joe, but the grant hates Missoula, the the grant DNPCD in game one, or even the, the limited amount that he played against Philly when he was one of the only guys that was slowing down and bead. I, it, it seems personal. Like the, the grant thing seems personal, which is why I, and I always expected him to be back next year, you know, and, and he'll probably just, because business he'll get the qualifying offer but i as so long as missoula is the coach and maybe he won't be but so long as missoula is the head coach of this team i don't think grant is back because i just don't think he likes him it doesn't make any sense either because he's the only guy that plays with the energy a lot of the times so like in some of these games against miami and people want to blame grant for the game two loss for getting in jimmy's face and i, I just thought that was the weirdest take so ever. Stupid. i mean what is so he supposed to do if jimmy's in his face talking talking trash to him what is he supposed to do? Just sit there and let Jimmy talk shit to him the entire time? Like, I, like, right. I, I would want the guy to get back in his face too. I just and like Grant, yeah, he had a three. He was taught it was a big three. Like, have some emotion. Like, play with that. Grant's one of the few guys that does, and I know it makes people mad that he talks a ton. And for me, I'd rather just have a guy that I know like is going to be up for big games and not when I have to wake up out of a coma. So, no, but so, like, but, but like what you're talking about isn't even the important part of it. Like people getting all frustrated about like, why is Grant being like, who cares that Grant got in Jimmy Butler's face and that it shouldn't like if Tatum does that Brown or Brown does that or even smart does that. Like, sure. That's a different story. But like, if you're like, know your role, dude, like Grant Williams, you don't do that. That, that none of that matters. None of that matters. It, this is about who Jimmy Butler is and Jimmy Butler doesn't need that to wake him up. Jimmy Butler is awake. Always. <laughs> Jimmy Butler doesn't need to be motivated. Jimmy Butler's a bulldog. So I, I just think like it's such a lame, lazy take by anybody, media fan, anyone who's like, man, Grant really like you probably would have won game two if Grant didn't wake up Jimmy Butler. No mistake. He yeah, didn't. Well- he didn't. Yeah. No, it, that'd be like, hey, if Richard Sherman didn't talk crap to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, the right. Patriots wouldn't have won. Like, Tom, right. Ri- hey, hey, Richard, if you didn't say that to Tom, 
You guys would have won the Super Bowl. Like, come on. Like, that's yeah, ridiculous. Also, this, also this, they wouldn't have won if Malcolm Butler didn't catch that ball. That's very, that's very <laughs> true as well. But this is one of the most competitive yeah. guys in the NBA. So I'm with you, Vontae. I'm with you, Coffin. There's no reason that people should have been upset by that. By the way, you see the 180 that uh, Reggie pulled on that. In game two, he was yelling like it was stupid by Grant that he poked the bear. And then in game three, he was defending him, saying that guys should have stuck yeah, up for him. He, he liked that he did. Right. I mean, Reggie has just been – as bad as the Celtics were in the first three games, Reggie matched it. I mean, he was as bad as the Celtics. style. How did he end up with Reggie Miller with, with Kevin Harlan? I don't understand it at all. How they have not – they don't have one guy better than that. Like, isn't there somebody with Iron Eagle that's better? Than, I don't know. I just don't get oh, it. Oh, and I – I, 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 mean, I know I know people love Breen, and they should. Breen's great. He's a Hall of Famer, all of it. But man, like Kevin Harlan really is like, and I and Eagle, like incredible Syracuse. Like there are a lot of very good, you know, like elite broadcasters, you know, especially this time of year. But Kevin Harlan, I don't know, maybe it's the video games or I don't know what it is, but Kevin Harlan is, is the voice of playoff basketball for me. Like I, I get ratcheted up another level when Kevin Harlan is calling the game. Is that Marv Albert for you? Well, I, I mean, now, like obviously when I was a kid, it was Marv, but Marv is, you know, long out of the game. Yeah, that trio, we really are spoiled as NBA fans that you have Breen, Ian Eagle, and Kevin Harlan, and all calling, like, important playoff games. Obviously, Eagle's not calling playoff games anymore because Harlan has the TNT thing, but I, I like all all three of those guys are awesome. And for Reggie Miller to be on the bro, I don't know how Turner can think that this He's guy a name. Should... He's a name. Yeah. I mean, I just – some of the points that this guy makes are – like, it's almost like, Reggie, are, are you watching the game? Like, for example, uh, in game four, Tatum comes out of halftime. And we all know he had the 14-point third quarter. And he's going nuts right away. Like, they got going in that third quarter. Tatum hit back-to-back wing threes. That's when they really started to get going like get, and get into rhythm. And then he destroyed the defense because they started doubling him. He's finding open shooters. But after the Heat call a timeout, he hit the two threes. Reggie said this is reminiscent of game six against Philadelphia where Tatum didn't do anything until the final three minutes of the game. Like Reggie, we, we still have more than a quarter and a half to play. This isn't, this isn't similar at all. It's not similar to that at all. I I don't understand. I don't understand the comparison. I really don't. The guy is asleep at the wheel. So let's, let's wrap with this because we've been going over an hour. There's uh, and, and for, I'm not just saying this like for any I've I've done many an interview between games three and four, uh, you know, radio, podcast, whatever. And I, I said this consistently through and I truly believed it and I continue to believe it. I want to know what you guys think. And and this is not a time for hot takes. I, I, I want genuine feelings about, you know, where we are at right now going into game five. What I have said is if they win game four which obviously they did, but I said this prior to the game. If they win game four, I firmly believe we will see a game six. I believe Boston will win game five. I don't know what the heck will happen in game six. So I'm not like proclaiming Boston's going to come all the way back and actually do this. But I do believe despite the whole, they could win by 20, lose by 20. We don't know who these guys are. I get it. I believe they will win game five. And then at that point in time, the question is, do they keep the put the, you know, the, the, the foot on the gas or do they get too comfortable within themselves, like we've seen many times before? But uh, Barrett, we'll start with you, obviously. Where are you at with this team? Well, I said last night on my podcast, and it was late, so maybe I was a little high on the victory, and I had just pounded an energy drink. So, you know, I'm going through all the all the all ideas the here. Yeah, all <laughs> the emotions of it. 
But I think it's going seven now because I think finally this whole thing of, hey, they're below 500 at the Garden, it's a real thing, but they're facing elimination. They've been really good when it comes to that. I do think that the crowd's going to fire them up and they're actually going to respond. I do believe they win this one because I think this is a difficult one for the Heat, especially with this Vincent situation where actually one of the only good points Reggie Miller made is it's going to be worse flying to Boston it's going to be worse for him in this game than it was to finish out that game because you're going on adrenaline so I think they win game five at home and I really think then if you win game five now as the it's really weird right because the Celtics are the heavy favorites like coming into the series the Heat are the massive underdogs the Heat act like they've never been underdogs and the Celtics they don't want to be the favorites right like they like this underdog persona so to speak then I think it flips to the pressures on the Heat so I think this is going seven yeah, seven? I think if it goes back to Miami, it goes seven. But I don't think it's going. I I think it's over tomorrow. Oh. I, hey, listen, I, I asked for I asked for honesty. I asked for honesty. I'll tell you, I've been really impressed with Miami. I think I think a lot of people, and, and I don't know how to even really explain what this Miami team is because, like, one of the things that irritates me about this again, this is a TNT broadcast. I love to talk about how many points the undrafted players have scored. Like, okay, they were undrafted, like, the first year they played in the league, and then after that, like, they're, they're rotation players now. So, like, the the Max Struess and Duncan Robinson and Gabe Vincent and all these guys are good basketball players, okay? Mm. Like, they're really good. And the role players for Miami have been absolutely nails this entire postseason, but especially in this series. And Jimmy's going to get to his numbers. Bam kind of, you know, Bam's been mostly good. But it's these role players that have been really killer for Miami, and I I think they have their off game, and I like because they're they're not afraid to take like tough shots. They, a lot of the tough ones go in. The open ones certainly go in. They just have a great rhythm right now, and I think Boston. You know, look, they've they're great in elimination games. They're three and zero so far. We'll see how it goes. But I think this Miami team is a little tougher mentally than Philadelphia and than Atlanta. Things weird. The Bam yeah. thing's weird, guys, right? Because if you go back to last year, it was four games he only took six shots. In the other games that he took more than six shots, he was really good. And then last night, it was kind of like Bam had one of those games where he only took seven shots. I was really confused by that. But I really can't have Adrian Brody slash Pat Riley get the <laughs> – Get the trophy right, and the Larry Bird trophies given away to Jimmy Butler at the Garden. I, I won't be able to watch it. I'll turn it right off. I will not. I will not stomach that. No. Yeah. I mean, not to end on a somber note, but I, I think these two teams are just fighting for the opportunity to lose to Denver anyway. <laughs> that is a machine. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jokic again. The people that haven't watched watched Jokic before who are now watching Jokic are like, "Holy cow, this guy's awesome!" It's like, yeah, it's he's. I I was very. As Kaufman, you know, I was very against that we have to give Embiid the MVP trophy this year because yeah. because Jokic hasn't won the title yet. And I'm like, this is crazy. If you just – if you take – because that's just a stupid storyline. If you if you just put the numbers next to each other of what these guys do and then you looked at the teams around them, what Jokic does is, is like, like kind of LeBron-ish where he just makes everybody better. Like everybody on the Nuggets is a better player because Jokic is on their team. And as mm-hmm. cool as Embiid is, I don't say that about Embiid. I just don't. He's an awesome defensive player. He is a remarkable scorer. But I don't think his team is better because he's – like the double team stuff, he can't pass out of doubles. He's not – the vision is not even close. 
Jokic is like one of the most special players I've seen in my lifetime. And well, and and you know what else is is the biggest difference between him and Embiid, him and LeBron, him and maybe Tatum as well, and so many other stars and superstars in this league. Jokic doesn't want any of the credit. That's he doesn't fair. want any of it. It's 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 the best. I mean, it's just like he's it, after a game. He's he, he's shouting out like Jamal Murray. It doesn't matter how how poorly Murray or anyone whoever played. It's you know he's the he's the engine that that drives us and all. It's oh, I just I love him. I love him. He's yeah. absolutely one of my favorites in the league. Yeah, and he was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial. Like the, yeah, it's ESPN. getting a lot of run lately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be. They're gonna talk about it a lot during the finals. Okay. The other difference between him and Embiid is. Why is Embiid always on the floor? You notice that? Like, I've never seen a guy fall as much as Embiid is. He is. He's always on the floor. I, I don't know. He's soccer. so clumsy. The explanation. That's a good point. I think he did. I think somebody he is a taught him guy. how to fall to like save himself because like somebody explained it of like somebody's teaching him to fall when he feels contact, so like he can brace himself for the fall instead of falling. Like there are certain ways to fall successfully, right? When you like. If the way you do it is you tuck your chin, like kind of like. Have you been talking to Marcus Smart? Where's this coming from? No, this this is actually more of Joe Missoula's alley with the jujitsu stuff. They teach this in jujitsu when, yeah, when that's true. Like, to learn how to you have to learn how to fall correctly, right? So like you tuck your chin into your, to protect the back of your head, so you don't sway on the back of your head when you when your back falls. So you want yeah. to cradle your body so that your back kind of creates an arch so that you all don't hit the one one time. You kind of like flow into it a little bit. You're supposed to use your arms as ways to stop your momentum. Now, MB doesn't like do a lot of that sometimes, but I do think he does fall purposely for to for like his own body's sake to protect him from different injuries. The problem is, as Baird has alluded to, and everybody, he's on the ground so much. I do think he injures himself that way too. So it's just a I, I don't know what to do with MB. I have no clue. He's, I mean, he's he's hilarious. He's he's cool. But, like, if anybody watched this year and walked away like, oh, yeah, Embiid's more valuable than, than Jokic, then I'm just – you're not watching the same basketball teams. Yeah, and he's stepping on dudes' domes. Like, I he's know, stepping dude. on people's Grant, heads. I couldn't yeah. believe Grant, like, actually walked up off after – like, just basically got curb stopped by a 300-pound yeah. like, just a monster like, of a human being. I would have retired from podcasting if that happened. <laughs> yeah, to me. Don't, don't ever touch Grant's toughness. That guy's tough as hell. I can't believe he didn't lose teeth. But all right, uh, we've we've gone on far too long because we're way too excited and we're trying to put off the uh, inevitable inevitable potential disappointments. So let's just I I have an idea, Celtics. Just win again. Just keep winning, and we can keep doing this and celebrating you. That's what we want. So uh, for Evan Valenti, for Brian Barrett, I am Adam Kaufman. Thanks for being with us, watching, listening, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you find it. Obviously, uh, we thank you. We'll be back at you again over the weekend when hopefully, Caesar's still at it. We'll see. Next. You.